Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. We have a special guest for you tonight, Jill Guerin, the play-by-play announcer for the Visalia Rawhide. But before we bring her on, let's bring Tom on. Tom, how's it going, sir? Good evening, Rob. Good evening, Jill. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Really excited. Uh, Get a chance to talk to Jill. Uh, Definitely interested on finding out exactly what her days are like when she's calling baseball games. So pretty pumped. Jill, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is the second time you came on, and uh, I'm very happy you decided to come back because you did something very, very exciting. You know, you she is the uh, play-by-play announcer for Visalia, and that is the low-A team of the Diamondbacks and you actually got to call a Diamondbacks game and that will be the cherry on top of the end. So we'll save that. So Visalia, I just learned how to say that. Where is that? So Visalia is in the middle of California, like smack dab in the middle, Um, three hours from San Francisco, three hours from LA and about two hours from the coast. So, um, it's in the middle of California. I didn't know where it was when I first got the job. I didn't know how to pronounce it properly when I first got the job. And I only lived three hours away. I grew up in LA. So uh, definitely a smaller town. There's over 100,000 people there, but it has a small town feel. And it's really known for their agriculture as well. So is it like, is it like, uh, like, is there anything to do there? Is there something you enjoy doing there? I know like for, for us here in, in Texas, like Houston, big city, San Antonio, big city in between it, not so much. So what's it like? So again, it has a small town feel, but it's not, there's a lot of people who live in Visalia and the county is Tulare County, which is even bigger. So it's actually known as the gateway to the Sequoias. So there's a national park called Sequoia national park, and it's literally 30, 40 minutes from my doorstep in Visalia. So 
A lot of people tend to go there when it's not too hot. There's a lot of good bars and restaurants. There's a street called Main Street where kind of all of the local breweries, the restaurants, boutiques, things like that are there. And then there's another Main Street called Mooney, which is where all your, you know, chains are. So Buffalo Wild Wings, Target, all that kind of stuff. So I have a question, but I forgot it because I was listening to you. I don't know why I forgot it. But anyway, let me ask you this, and then I'll try to think of it. But why are they called the Rawhide? Do you have any idea? So it transitioned in 2007 from the Visalia Oaks, where if you talk to people in Visalia, some of them want us to go back to the Oaks. But the Rawhide was a new branding. We redid the stadium that year. So we kind of felt like the whole team needed to get revamped, not just the stadium. So the Rawhide does you know, give way to the agriculture community because we have a big cattle and dairy um, market in Visalia. But also it has to do with the cowhide game, which is a big high school rivalry football game in Visalia. So we also kind of gave out to that as well. Okay, I thought of my question. <laughs> the Sequoia Park, is that where you have the huge trees and you can drive the car through one? Yes, yes. Sequoia's okay. National Park. Up those I, I want to go there. I've been to the one in San Francisco across the bridge. Can't mm -hmm. think of what that's called right now. Mere Woods. Mm -hmm. I asked the guy, where is the woods from Planet of the Apes? Because that's where I want to go. Yep. So I'm not a big outdoor guy so i'm not looking forward to the sequoia national park <laughs> me personally more of a city guy but i understand it right mm -hmm. so back to back to the whole baseball thing where did you first find your your love for baseball where did you play as a kid i mean did you grow up following you know a team mm -hmm. so the the running joke and my dad refuses to acknowledge it but the running joke is I'm an only child and my dad really wanted a boy. So I just became a tomboy basically because of him. So grew up loving sports. I first played baseball when I was six and transitioned to softball when I was eight. Ended up playing softball all the way through college. But my real love for the game and understanding of the game was when I was probably, you know, seven, eight, maybe. And my dad and I would go to a lot of baseball games together in Los Angeles. So we would score the game there. And because of that, I am focusing on every single pitch. I'm understanding the game way more than another seven or eight year old does. Cause the seven or eight year old is usually just happy to go see their favorite player and eat a hot dog and some ice cream. But I was learning the strategy of the game at a very young age. And that's what made me fall in love with baseball and softball. So you're just to be clear. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so just to be clear, you're you're scoring it like you're keeping a book. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I still a, don't know how to do that. Yeah, so we would always go and get like the the programs, you know, the $1 programs. I'm sure they're like 10 bucks now in LA instead. But the $1 programs, and they usually have like the starting lineup and a scorebook, just a one-pager, a little one-pager. So I would always do that. I, I wish we kept them. There might be like some in the garage somewhere, but yeah, I don't have them anymore. Okay, so you're you grew up in LA. And you didn't answer his question. Your favorite team is the Red Sox because of yes. your dad, right? Mm -hmm. So my question for you about scoring the game that Tom doesn't know how to do and we do. Um, <laughs> just kidding. 
Do you think that had any impact on what you ended up doing as a career? I mean, I, sports has just been my entire life, um, ever since I was six, you know, I, I did a little bit of dance when I was young, a little bit of piano, but sports was where my heart was. That's what I love to do. And it honestly just makes sense that I'm working in sports in some capacity. Uh, and I also went to school in Boston where my dad's from. So that had a huge impact on me. My love for the Red Sox and love for Boston was very apparent. Because my fifth grade teacher, who I happened to see right before I went to college, she told me, of course, you're going to Boston. That only makes sense. I would expect nothing less from you. So uh, my dad's influence on me is tremendous. So with that being said, did dad also kind of push a position on you? Did you play? Did you pitch because he was a, a fan of a pitcher? Did you play second because of a second baseman? Just curious. I didn't play. I'm a big fan. So I always wonder why people play the positions they play. So I moved all over. I mean, when 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 you're a decent player, you kind of move all over. When you're in Little League, you usually play short or third when you're good. And then when I finally became, uh, I joined a travel softball team, I was not the best player on the team. I was stuck in right field. But as you get older, once you hit high school, every position is important, right? So I actually played center field for two, two and a half years, and I was decent at it for not being a super skinny, fast girl, but I injured myself pitching. I was not a good pitcher. I just had to pitch for my high school schools team, and I hurt myself pitching. And when I rehabbed back, I rehabbed in at first base because I didn't have to throw as much there because it was my right arm that I hurt. Turned out I was good at first base and puberty hit and I was no longer fast. So I stuck at first base for the rest of my career. When I first played baseball, the first year I went out, I think I was seven. And I show up and it seems like everybody's there. I must have been late. And the coach is like, all right, let me see you throw. And he's like, all right, come over here. You're going to be a pitcher. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it is when you're younger and if you have a good arm. You play shortstop or third base or you pitch. That's just that's just where the good kids play, Tom. Mm -hmm. All right. So when you're in college at Emerson in Boston, you entered the you were part of the Red Sox radio internship program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my senior year, kind of the perfect end to my senior career or my college career. And it was something where it was exclusive to Emerson students that year. It used to be exclusive to Northeastern students because Joe Castiglione, who's one of the play-by-play -play broadcasters for the Red Sox, he taught at Northeastern. When he stopped teaching there, they needed to find another school to funnel their interns from. Well, that was the year that Tim Neverett was hired for the Red Sox. He's now with the Dodgers. But for those years that he was at the Red Sox, he had Emerson kids come because Tim graduated from Emerson also. So I was really lucky that I was able to get that opportunity my senior year. Um, it, it really worked out perfectly timing wise, because when you graduate in May, minor league baseball has already started. So a lot of the kids who graduate in May don't get a minor league baseball job that summer. Um, so it worked out perfectly for me where I still had a baseball gig. So the, that was your first gig after school? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yes, it was. With the Rawhide? And so the Red Sox was, it was, it was kind of like my in-between 
because it started in April, right? When I was still in school and it was my final class. So it went through October because of the, um, the world series and the playoffs. So I, I technically graduated in October. Like when I walked in May, my, my little folder didn't have a diploma in it because I didn't finish my internship. So it's complicated. Like it was my first gig after quote unquote graduating, but it was still a part of my college class. So that year you're with Boston, they actually like ended the world series drought, right? I yeah. read that somewhere. And so they won the 2018 <clears throat> world series. They didn't end the drought because that was an 04, but I mean, they like started, you know, they just won it in 2013. It was 04, 07, 13 and 18. So it was the last one of kind of the, it's not a dynasty, but you know, the, the really good era. Sure, dad was happy. Oh, dad, dad <laughs> went, okay. So the Red Sox won it in Los Angeles. I, I didn't travel with the team. I was only home games. My dad got to be at the game where they actually won the world series. And I'm like, I've been working for this team all year and I didn't get one champagne shower. I was not there for any single one of those. It was all on the road. And I was very upset at my dad <laughs> that he got to be there for it so I, I i understand you're doing this and and you you graduated school you jump right into it did you still feel like this was the job for you did you feel like hey this is what i was meant to do or was was this just something like came natural i i mean for me i i feel like sitting at home i would love to do something similar right but I don't know after being in, in that, would it still feel the same way? Would it feel like work instead of like enjoying the game? How do you feel? I, I loved it when I was interning for the Red Sox. I mean, I got to sit next to two professional MLB broadcasters and listen to them and listen to how they tell stories, what statistics they care about. I was in the clubhouse um, interviewing players and getting audio. I was, I was at a ballpark all day. It was, it was perfect. And I was lucky enough to get, um, a gig with a summer collegiate baseball team. And when I didn't have Red Sox games, I would go to New Hampshire and call games there, which was where I kind of got a little bit more um, of my footing and actual play-by-play -play broadcasting, not just being in the booth. So I, I, I had a few broadcasters on here before and talked to them. And they kind of mentioned that you could have a sport that you want to cover, that you want to be involved in, but it doesn't always work out that way. Yes. It just kind of the jobs come and you take it. You don't want to turn anything down, but it seems like you got the sport you wanted. Yeah. I, for me in my career, I like to do other sports. I have um, basketball games coming up. I'm trying, I've done soccer before. Um, but for me and the end goal is baseball or softball. Like it's, it's baseball or bust for me. Um, it's been my life and I don't plan on changing that anytime soon. So I guess, I guess a question that I have just for myself, kind of, I know, I know baseball players have rituals, right? Uh, one of the pitchers for the Astros, Lance McCullers before a game, he would go watch a movie. Um, I imagine sitting in the booth or whatever, two, three hours, you know, do you have a certain, uh, uh, pregame type thing that you do knowing you're, you're going to go work a game. Is there a food? Is there like, like a certain beverage, something like that? I I'm always curious, you know, cause I imagine, you know, broadcasters creatures habit too, right? Like to be prepared. What's your, what's your pregame go-to. 
Yeah. It's funny. I was so superstitious as an athlete and as a broadcaster, I'm not like I'm chilling. <laughs> it's, I think I'm more superstitious about when the team wins because quite frankly, like as a broadcaster, you broadcast the game no matter what, but when you're the voice of a team, you want your team to win. It makes your life so much easier. It's a lot more fun. So I'll switch pens if they win or lose, depending on that. Um, but in terms of pregame ritual, I don't really have a whole lot. I always fill out my book with lineups and notes, things like that. Make sure I have everything. But at this level of minor league baseball, I do a lot of other things that sometimes 15 minutes before first pitch, I had to go run and do something really quickly or, oh my gosh, I forgot to print this, something like that. Um, so I don't really have a pregame ritual anymore but I know some broadcasters who do like I know guys who like rock out to something in their headsets and I don't know why I don't I think it's because I felt so much pressure as an athlete that now as a broadcaster like it's nothing I'm chilling so you talked about like working in softball or baseball would be your future and we have a uh, segment on here called fair or foul and one time the the question that I put out is that the women's world series college world series is more exciting than the men's facts. Yeah. It's a total fact, right? It's exciting. So, I mean, it's okay. Oh, I'm going to get canceled. Softball is slightly <laughs> like softball is college softball is more exciting than baseball. Not because the game is different. Nothing like that but because the players are more into it because college softball, you have 40 games that you, when you're a collegiate athlete in softball, you play only, what is it? 160 games in your career. You are going all out. They are cheering nonstop. You are loud. It's fun. That's why softball is more entertaining to fans to baseball. So when people say baseball's too boring, baseball's too slow, I tell them go watch a college softball game because the bases are 60 feet and the mound is 43 feet and it's just a lot faster and loud and fun. So, so to that, do you feel like it should stay smaller? Do you think like, like a softball should, should get bigger? I always watch those games and I'm always like, man, some of those plays are so tough to make because the, I mean, like you just said, the home to first is, is really short plate to plate really short. Like I've always wondered if that was something that they were considered. I mean, obviously as people get bigger, stronger, faster, you know what I mean? Maybe you expand the field a little bit. Yeah. Maybe that's not something that I've ever considered. And it's, it's funny because baseball is trying to experiment all these ways to change the game. And like softball is just not doing that. You know, um, it, I don't think it needs to be changed. I mean, there are girls who can get down to first base in less than three seconds, which is insane. But um, I don't think it needs to get changed. You know, there is women's baseball, um, professional baseball, national teams and everything. And that's a lot of fun too. I don't think that they need to make it any bigger if girls want to play baseball on a bigger field, go play professional baseball. If you want to play softball, great. Go, go play professional softball or in college too. Cause women's college baseball is starting to come up too. Now. I'm like, Tom, I, I watch those games and it just seems impossible to get to first base. If you hit a grounder to the infielder, it's just it's so fast. Yeah. I'm very slow. I, I hate to be an I umpire. 
Like if I hit a ground ball, I was out. And yeah, umpiring is tough too. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing, 43 feet, a 70 or 75 mile an hour fastball is the equivalent of 95 miles an hour. So these collegiate athletes are having the same reaction time as professional baseball players, as collegiate baseball players too. And that's what a lot of, um, we'll say ignorant people don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see it. I, I, again, I didn't play at, at any high level. I played in high school a little bit, but it was never any good. You know, it was like uh, the coach was the geometry teacher or right. geography. I'm sorry. And I played everything else. And he was like, oh, how come you don't play baseball? And I was like, cause I never played baseball. Yeah. And I was out there for five minutes and showed exactly why I had no business being out there, but I love the game. But yeah. then to watch softball, it's just like, man, like you said, those, those plays are, are so, so fast. A grounder is like beat out more in softball. I think than I ever see in yeah. college softball or baseball or regular baseball. Definitely. And I'm from Oklahoma, so that's why I really like watching it also. Oh, they're yeah. really good. <laughs> All right, let's go to this. Um, you're one of the few women to be able to do play-by-play. And in your younger days, you even did color, right? And you do, you still do both, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you're one of the few women to call professional baseball. But you were the first one to do triple A with the Reno Aces. Mm-hmm. From what we could tell, we think I was the first. I texted a bunch of other women who might know, and I think I was the first ever. I actually did color for that game. Um, so we believe I was the first woman to be a part of a AAA broadcast, but the Iowa Cubs might have had someone. I never actually was able to check on that, but um, I'm not sure if Elise was on one before me. I think she at least was part of sidelines or the pregame postgame, but I'm not sure if she was on as a color analyst. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of women doing this specifically in the minor leagues. If we're talking about women who are the voice of a minor league baseball team, there are now two of us. That's it. Wow. Elite company. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> what do you find harder, the play-by-play or color? Play-by-play. Mm, it's, diff- play. it's different types of knowledge, right? Play-by-play. Play. I'm, you know, I, I've especially for softball. A majority of my color, I've done softball. I do a few baseball games for color as well, but I think play-by-play is a little bit more difficult just because you have to have a little bit more technical skills. And that's not something that I was necessarily taught. You don't, I went to school for journalism, not for play-by-play broadcaster. So it's something that I've had to develop over the years. Color, so long as you know how to present yourself on camera or over the radio and you are able to articulate what you want to say, you should be okay. Um, However, color is difficult because you need to have all of these stats in front of you, all of these fun little notes in front of you. So I think the prep is a little bit more intense for color analysts, but the technical skills are more intense for play-by-play. So kind of to piggyback on that a little bit, I know like color has kind of changed with some of these newer uh, uh, faces in other sports, right? Tony Romo's changed the game for color in football because he's telling people these plays that are coming because he was a quarterback yeah. 
Do you find yourself doing that too? I feel like that's something that like more and more people are trying to incorporate in their color, being able to read what's going on and be able to present that to the audience so that you're, you're, you're telling them kind of like what's going to happen and they can kind of appreciate you more for being able to see it. So I'm just curious if that's something that you try to incorporate or, I mean, it's, it's really, really tough now because every, the bar is getting raised with the color guys before they right. used to just be able to tell jokes. And now it's mm -hmm. like, no, you need to know what's going to happen. I think I try to do that specifically if I know a team's strategy and their routine or their trends, I'll try to do that Spe specifically softball where it's pretty easy to know if a team is going to bunt or if a player is going to slap or if they try to hit it over the right fielder's head. It's a little bit easier there. But one thing you have to remember is when I do play-by-play -play for Visalia, I do this alone. I'm the only person talking for all nine innings. So I'm technically doing play-by-play -play and color. Definitely a lot more play-by-play, -play, but I will go ahead and say – expect a bunt here. We'll see if he tries to take off here. I don't necessarily go into in those scenarios why you want to steal, like how you would hear Tony Romo do that. But I will dissect a play. If it's complicated, I will go into, ah, he probably should have thrown here instead of there. I will go into those intricacies because I have playing knowledge from it. I didn't even realize you did it all alone. Yeah, I That's talked amazing. to myself for three hours. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so I also read this about you. It said you didn't want, you know, because you're like a woman, right, doing this. And you're kind of leading, you know, you're one of the people leading the way. But it's, you, you I saw a quote or something where you said, I don't want to just be like this token woman i just want to be jill mm -hmm. yeah it's it's tough it's when you're in this role as a broadcaster you're not supposed to make it about yourself but they also want you to create this brand for the team and for yourself so you're supposed to talk about yourself a little bit on social media it's difficult but then you also are getting a lot of publicity because it's a big deal when people are hiring women now and we're seeing it a lot in baseball, specifically in coaching. So I have to try to navigate how much publicity do I want? Because it is good for me, of course, and my brand and maybe networking and stuff, but you don't want to be the token woman because then when people see that you bring publicity somewhere, they only want to hire you because of that. Or people will say they're only hiring you because of that. On the flip side, I also know there's not a whole lot of women that are doing this. I mean, I didn't have women that I looked up to when I was six years old that I wanted to be a broadcaster. I looked up to men because that was all that there was. So I'm also aware that I need to allow these stories about me to go out there because there could be a young girl or a young woman deciding that they want to do this as well. What do you say or or what do you want, I guess, to be projected to young women, young girls that want to follow in your footsteps, that want to that want to follow the road that you're kind of paving? How do you want to like lead that? What I mean, obviously, you, like you just spoke about how you don't want to you don't want to overdo it, but at the same time, you know that you need to, you know, have a platform, so to speak. So kind of talk about that a little bit. I'm always curious what 
exactly a person feels, you know, when they're trying to do that. I mean, it's easy to say, but it's, it's another thing to do. I think behind the scenes, I try to just make people feel okay that there's a woman there because a part of my job is I go into clubhouses before and after games. What, 30, 40 years ago, that wasn't a thing. So, and it's really not a thing in minor league baseball because there's not that many women at the minor league level entering clubhouses. So that was pretty new in 2019 when I was hired by the Rawhide. So it's getting the men and play the, the coaches, the players, the staff comfortable with the idea of a woman being around because that might not have been a comfortable situation for people not used to it, things like that. So behind the scenes, I'm getting these people to respect me as a broadcaster, as a woman, as a person. And then because of that, these young women who are coming in behind me, they're going to interact with teams and staff, personnel, players who have already seen a woman in this position. So I think that's a big part of what I'm doing is making it easier for them to transition in. As far as being on podcasts and in newspapers and things like this, it's just making sure that these young girls and women realize that you can do this. You just got to be confident. Like I'm sure that Robbie read this in a few of the articles. I always say you need to be unapologetically confident. You need to believe that you belong there and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I found something you just said earlier interesting about like, I don't want to get a job because I'm a woman, but I also realize that being a woman helps me get a job. So that's, that's kind of a crazy position to be in. Yeah. People don't want to admit it, but I mean, like people, it's not that they're giving you a job because you're a woman. It's that they see this opportunity to help someone who might not get this job with a different organization. I think that's more so what's happening. Or they see, here's this woman who is so qualified, we should give her this job. We know it's going to either ruffle feathers. Right now, it's not ruffling feathers. It's really getting good publicity. But we know it's going to get good publicity. She deserves it. Let's back her. Um, we saw that this week with the Diamondbacks, uh, Ronnie Gajownik, she just got hired as the uh, high A broadcaster for the Hillsborough Hawks and she kicks butt. Like she's fantastic. I got to work with her a little bit this year. Um, so do you see yourself, I guess, is that the progression? Are you, are you trying to move up the chain? Is, is it, is it the, the, the goal one day? full-time broadcaster uh for the Arizona Diamondbacks is it to make it to Boston what's 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 the dream job I guess I dad, this may be the dream would job. love that right right, right. <laughs> I want to be the voice of a major league baseball team I don't have preference tv or radio um don't necessarily have a preference for a team I have absolutely loved working in the Diamondback system for the last four plus years now um, you know, growing up, it was to be the Red Sox broadcaster, but now the idea of being able to stay in the diamondback system and work at the major league level with these players who I'm working with now is a pretty special idea to me. So tell us your story. You got, you got the call <laughs> from the diamondbacks. 
-hmm. come up here and call a game for us. Just share that story with us. It really is a story about networking and kind of right place, right time, which just seems to be always the factor in, in broadcasting. So I was in the Arizona Fall League. I broadcasted a few games for the Arizona Fall League last year in 2021. And I had interacted with Scott Geyer, who's the vice president of broadcasting for the Diamondbacks, just emailed back and forth here and there. And I emailed him saying, I'm going to be in town. I'd love to grab lunch or coffee. So he invited me to Chase Field in Arizona. He took me to lunch, gave me a tour of the field. We went up to the press box. And in the press box, there's a wall with all these signatures, like Sharpies, pens, people just signing. And he said, oh, shoot, I should have brought you a pen or a Sharpie so you could sign it. And I said, oh, that's okay. You know, I, I want to come back sometime. And he said, well, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually really want to get you on a broadcast this year. And I said, I thought he like misspoke because <laughs> I was 25 when he, 24, or 25, when he told me that. And I'm like, that can't be right. I said, well, yeah, I would love to come and do a mock broadcast if you guys ever have a free booth and I'll sign the wall then. And he said, well, yeah, of course you can do that, but I want you on the radio. And then just pale, like, you know, seeing stars, <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Um, and, you know, this, this was October, or November. So I was thinking, okay, this probably isn't going to happen. Like really nice that he wants to do this for me. And if anyone who knows Scott knows, like he's just this amazingly nice person. Fast forward to spring training. I'm just there for, as a fan slash to just kind of network a little bit. And I see him and he says, you know, I still do want to get you on a broadcast this year. So send me whatever days you think are good for you. So emailed him and he got back to me and said, so it doesn't look like we can have you here for home games because our lead broadcaster has some health issues and we just don't want to bring anyone in because of COVID. But at Dodger Stadium, there's going to be a double header and in September, quite frankly, nobody wants to broadcast 18 innings of baseball. So why don't we have you come in for the first game and you'll broadcast three innings to give Chris a break. And I'm like, um, yes, please. And thank you. I will definitely do <laughs> in your that. hometown. Yeah. That's the thing. I got to wake up in my childhood bed, take a drive to LA to Dodger stadium and I mean, it was, it was special. It was a day baseball game at Dodger stadium. It's one of the most beautiful stadiums in the country. Day baseball is the best. It was, it was perfect. It's amazing. Yeah. That's like some movie stuff. Really. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah. We should have, we should have led with this. <laughs> <laughs> I did right, say I got, it at the beginning, right? We're saving the best for last, the cherry on top. <laughs> I got one. I got one more question. So, I don't know a whole lot about the Arizona Diamondbacks farm system. So, I imagine you do. You see them every day. I want that one player, that one that I need to to watch, the one that's coming. That they're like Jill told me about this guy, and here he is. Who's that guy? It's a toss up right now between Jordan Lawler and Davison De Los Santos. Um. De Los Santos just got added to, he's the number 10 in the top 10 prospects at third base, according to MLB pipeline. I don't think Lawler is on the shortstop list just yet, but he's 
he's got it. He's got everything. He might not end up at shortstop, but he's going to be a big leaguer someday. And those guys aren't blocked right now, are they? I don't I don't think there's anybody holding mm-hmm. down either position for the big club. I don't think so. No, I think the and I think the Diamondbacks are willing to experiment in certain places. They have a very strong system, very young system. Davison is only 19. I think so is Jordan only 19 too. So a lot of young guys coming up. Let's go back to the game. <laughs> okay, two questions. Did the Diamondbacks do well while you were calling the game? And also, what did it feel like? You 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 put the headset on and you're like, it's a major league baseball game. Like mm-hmm. you weren't freaking out. Oh, I freaked out. 100%. <laughs> I freaked out. Um, so yeah, the Diamondbacks did well. The first pitch that I called was a home run hit by Dalton Varsho. So I homered in my first at bat. Not many <laughs> broadcasters can say that. Um, as much as that freaked me out, and I probably didn't have my best home run call because I still wasn't settled, it was nice to have it happen because it just kind of immediately reminded me, all right, this is baseball. Let's get to work. So it was it was nice. It was easy. And yeah, the, the Diamondbacks did well. They were losing, and then they took the lead. While I was there, they ended up losing it at the end of the game. They should have just kept me on the broadcast to keep the good juju. But um, I can see Disney making a movie of her. I can see. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have just been like, "Do I get loud? How loud am I? Like, you know, do I yell? Do I scream? Do I jump? That would have been tough." Yeah, I don't. I don't think I ever really get too loud. I definitely will, like, you know, get a, a little bit louder, but. I keep it pretty even because when, when women on broadcast get loud, they tell us that we screech. So I'm trying to like not get the screeching comment on Twitter. <laughs> Our radio broadcaster, Robert Ford is his home run call is see you later. See you later. See you later. So what did you say? So I don't have, I don't have a home run call and I don't know. People keep asking, this is like the most you know, normal question for broadcasters. What's your home run call? It's not just in interviews, but just on the street and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have one. I describe it because every home run is different. Like Dalton's barely cleared it. When he hit it, I didn't think it was going to be a home run. I was calling it like it was about to be off the wall. And then all of a sudden it cleared it. So I tend to describe it. The only time I'll get like really big or loud is if it's a moonshot, you know, like no doubter, or I'll try to describe where it goes off of the second stand, the, uh, the second level of grandstands in Visalia, we have a barn in right center field. So I'll say off the barn or something like that, but yeah, I don't have a typical call and I don't know if that means I'm weird or what, but I think it's just because of the, like the player in me where not every home runs the same. Like when you hit it, you don't know if it's going to be a home run sometimes other times, you know, immediately. I can definitely appreciate that because I know there were a few calls during the world series where Fox broadcasters got up out of their seats. You felt like they were really loud and the ball didn't leave the yard. Yeah. It's and I think that'd be worse. It's hard to read the ball. I'll, I'll mess that up a lot too. Yeah. You're on the podcast with the bad guys <laughs> or the bad guy. I think after we won the world series, I think things are even Dan Clark. The guy that hates the Astros, he's turning around. But anyway, <laughs> do you have anything you want to add? we got a few about a minute and a half left if you want to add anything. 
No, not really. Just if anyone's listening who is interested in broadcasting, um, working in baseball, feel free to DM me, um, Jill Guerin on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, but thank you so much for having me. This is great being on a second time. Well, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. For Tom and Jill, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball, and we'll see you Wednesday night with Kevin Minch, former Major League Baseball player. Wednesday, see ya. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.